Hello friends, and today after a big break we record in person. There are so many topics that it's really hard to choose about what to record. And today we discuss security issues, the topics that basically created this podcast. And we have some topics that we want to present you. We talk about um, strategic dialogue between the US and Russia. We discuss uh, the ban of TikTok in the US. Um, the Lebanon blast, the shock the world, and uh, the withdrawal of American troops from Germany. So stay tuned and subscribe to our channels if you like us. We will, we will discuss something that is now it's in, in our own interest, security. Yeah, last time we discussed more like, you know, Let's say civilian politics matters. Yeah. Now we'll turn more into the security side of yeah. international politics. Exactly. Um, a lot of topics. It's yeah. really hard to pick one and just to start uh, unpacking it, so to speak. Unfortunately, a lot is happening in the world right now. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of happening in, in realm of security. Mm -hmm. So let's maybe start you know, with this uh, the US-Russia strategic dialogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, which took place in Vienna a couple of weeks ago, I guess almost, yeah, so it's been almost a week since the dialogue finished, but it has some results. And so, can you maybe tell us about the results? Yeah, so, I mean, the whole thing happened uh, this week, but last week, and it basically, it was concerned with uh, all things nuclear, all things strategic and stuff like that. Um, it's, it's, it's been... Some people probably would say milestone in in you know Russian American relations because they didn't have talks for a while before that, and so the finally representatives met and they discussed uh, three basically three things, and it's it's important to keep in mind because those th three things uh, determine the way those talks uh, will be proceed in the future. Mm -hmm. So they basically formed three working groups uh, with representatives that will meet regularly and discuss those issues. So the first group is about, uh, like let's say, arms control and verification mechanisms. Uh, second group is about uh, doctrines, uh, nuclear doctrines, and like I would say, just general how you, how you, how you present um, your Mm, defense um, doctrine and defense uh, policy. Um, and third one is, is actually something interesting is the space issues and that's how they will work in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, we don't know the exact like exact results of those talks but we know that they will continue and we have some positive feedback from representatives and they so talks lasted I guess four days is, and people say that uh, they didn't even have uh, so many pauses, so many stops during those talks. So it just like was um, non-stop talking, discuss, discuss, like non-stop discussion about all those things that are very important to you know bilateral relations. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this, I, I think it's 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 interesting thing because it's uh, it's almost one half a year until new start treaty expires yeah we discussed guess, it already yeah and i guess the they all, i guess they also discussed it <laughs> they probably did yes <laughs> yeah and it's the main issue of course right now how to continue with this treaty and whether the u.s is going to stay in this treaty or withdraw from this treaty so as you said it was bilateral talks 
where yeah. he tries to bring uh, different powers on board, let's say yeah. China, for example. Uh, I guess this time, like the US, uh, specifically, like didn't really mention China. I mean, they still. I mean, the, the whole position of US government is still to bring China into dialogue, into this uh, arms control negotiations. But uh, I mean, they basically understand that they got this refusal from China, and China is not interested in those talks. And uh, so they continue to work in this format. And I guess it's a good sign that during this negotiation, they didn't really mention China so often from public uh, sp spoke people, so to speak. They just uh, they just mainly um, like made comments about like those bilater bilateral relations and bilateral talks rather than those things, uh, like, rather than just just insisting on bringing China into talks, which is very unrealistic at this point. Anyway. Yes, probably. Uh, I mean, China China has this position that it's just an excuse to quit the treaty, which is probably, I mean, probably it is an excuse because China has, uh, as we discussed, I mean, we don't know how many nukes China has officially because they don't really publish their data, but some experts estimate, I mean, people who we definitely can trust, estimate that they have like almost like 2,000, uh, 200, sorry, 290 nukes, which is like close to 300, and this is... That's like, not a lot compared to the US. Yeah, relatively small Russia. amount. They have almost like 3,000 new, like nuclear warheads. It's completely different. You, you have completely different stages when you have, I guess, 3,000 nukes, when you have 300 nukes. Yeah, absolutely. But they're definitely concerned. And the thing is, uh, China, I guess we'll discuss a little bit later about their space program also. Yeah. But China is making a lot of progress. And of course, they're developing very fast their technologies. And let's say in 10 years, you cannot, you, you, you can't be afraid that China will turn into this, uh, I don't know, unlimited, unrestricted uh, dragon that has so many different types of nu nukes and nuclear warheads and ballistic missiles mm -hmm. that like, you know other countries don't have i mean it makes sense like to involve them in those in this dialogue but at this point i don't think it's, it's not crucial i guess yeah because you want just to save this treaty that you have with russia and it's the last treaty that they have basically um and just because you need to have some verifications, you need to have some dialogue. Without this treaty, it just it will be hard to engage in some bilateral talks and bilateral mm -hmm. conversation about nuclear issues. And it's, I mean, in this dangerous period of time with this power politics, um, um, to just to have like just to leave without any sort of restrictions and commitments. Yeah, and um, I think uh, you mentioned already the topic of space mm -hmm. in terms of security issues. I yeah. think we have had some developments in the space oh, yes. area A recently uh, because right now we have the so-called launch window mm -hmm. to Mars. Yes. And many uh, countries and agencies sent their mm -hmm. missions to Mars right now, including China. Yeah. Uh, which mm -hmm. I think is a huge development that China is launching yes. their own Mars missions. And um, how would you say this relates to international mm -hmm. relations and security? Yeah, and I guess another important point, I think it was before the talks, but uh, I mean, American specialists, they noticed that uh, Russia had test, like, just tested some unusual, um, let's say, satellite in, in the orbit. Mm -hmm. And basically, I mean, they, they think that it was aimed at... Um, um, it was aimed at doing something with American and NATO satellites, mm -hmm. you know, like disturbing their work. 
And I mean, as you can imagine, the whole military now it relies on satellites and it's the most important military infrastructure that you have because without those satellites, you just like basically lose communication, navigation, navigation. Yep, I mean, and all systems are automatic right now. You just basically lose the ability to retaliate, the ability to operate, whatever. I mean, a lot of stuff happening. And yeah, and is that that's probably what they discussed because the issue is uh, as we also discussed in our podcast militarization of space is prohibited uh, but what we consider militarization of space is not so well defined it is yes. so let's say if you put some satellite that can have some i don't know um can have some capabilities to distract your, your satellites like anime satellites um, will you think it, it's it's uh, it's a defensive satellite or it's an offensive satellite? It's in like yeah, yeah it's that's, hard. that's true. It's hard to define because uh, it's mm -hmm. nowadays it's hard to define what is really military purposes. What mm -hmm. does it mean? Uh, oh yeah, because information information is not usually considered you know part of military actions. Yeah, but it's crucial for modern military operations. But it's it's becoming yeah yeah definitely important. you know modern military satellites they are usually used for you know yeah. surveying your enemy's positions etc uh, so you don't you know strictly bring weapons to mm -hmm. space but information itself is a weapon that you can use against your opponent yeah and infrastructure is of course uh, has a like vital importance and it's also the oldest like uh, i guess if if i continue this conversation like a little bit conversation about this dialogue they also discuss doctrines and it's very interesting to see how they perceive what is the threat in terms of you know security for example i mean it all comes down to when you launch nukes um, because it's the most important question like like you launch nukes when what happens so to speak so mm -hmm. to to like are you ready to launch nukes when you just like your infrastructure hit uh, and for example, in Russian doctrine, it says that uh, Russia will uh, launch a retaliate strike uh, using nuclear weapons if it's uh, infrastructure. I mean, I mean, like, I would say like pivotal or yeah, pivotal infrastructure is in danger. But what you can consider pivotal infrastructure will it's be very broad. Yeah, will so be so theoretically, this does not yeah. imply retaliating nuclearly. So I mean, let's say that uh, mm -hmm. the Russian authorities. Uh, decide that the vital infrastructure of the Russian state is yeah. in danger, they might mm -hmm. use nuclear weapons even though that the, mm -hmm. their opponent did not, right? Yes, and I think space, that's why space is important, because space is, I mean, directly linked to missiles, directly linked to launch system, directly linked link to um, early warning systems, yeah. and it basically um, provides uh, this infrastructure for detecting the launch, for preventing launch and stuff like this. Uh, and for example, with with the US scenario, it provides also this uh, IHS. Uh, I I have always had time with the with pronouncing this. I think it's ages. Ages system. Something like this. Yeah. Yeah. It also relies on basically on satellites. Uh, how how else you how like in what way you can uh, uh, you can prevent nuclear strike? You have you need to have this uh, early warning system, and you need to have. Very good satellite uh, satellites into in, in, into like launch into the orbit to basically detect so that your enemy launches like nuclear attack or some other sort of like of missile or like ballistic missile attack. Yeah. So yeah, it's a very important question, and uh, I, I'm wondering whether they can settle because there is some. I mean, there is a room or like there is definitely room for opportunities here. 
because they, they all think that infrastructure is important. What they can do, they just like define infrastructure. It's, it will be the, the easiest way, I guess, what those groups do. They just basically say, well, what we define as uh, like what you define, what we define, let's yeah, like settle. Legal, legal definition. Yeah, maybe we can settle and say, well, this, this and that, like definitely if you strike this, this and that, we, we consider like nuclear, like this, we consider th those infrastructure crucially important and we will retaliate because and so you know and I guess in deterrence strategy is the most important thing because your intention should be crystal clear yeah there is no room for misunderstanding because you, you should you should know beforehand that if you strike this target yeah. you will be met with such a response exactly and because we cannot uh, we cannot exclude possibility that we will have some conventional weapon or a conventional war with like without things for example it's it's pretty I mean for example, in South China Sea, I would say it's pretty possible to have yeah, a conventional, possible. conventional like small conventional, small scale conventional war without using nukes, because China is like kind of play pledges not to use nukes first. So, and infrastructure is important because, for example, China hits some critical American infrastructure, like the US can launch a nuclear strike, but then like China will retaliate, of course. So, if you want to perceive this, you need to know. What is like critical yeah, infrastructure? Yeah, what response you can expect yeah. if you hit certain infrastructure targets? So yeah, it's I guess it's interesting just to um, observe those talks, those developments. They definitely will determine strategic all all strategic thinking in future decades. It's definitely going to be there, and let's see how it guess how it goes. Yeah, I guess we can um, move on to another mm -hmm. security related topic, but let's. Get back to Earth, let's say. Mm -hmm. um, the Middle East. It's, yeah. uh, it's been quite tense, as mm -hmm. always. Yeah. Uh, especially with the recent uh, explosion in Beirut in mm -hmm. Lebanon. Um, the the eyes of most of the world mm -hmm. are focused on Lebanon, and this complicates things for mm -hmm. Israel. Oh yeah. Because for a couple of months, the tensions between Israel and the Hezbollah, which is mm -hmm. based in Lebanon, were very tense. Mm -hmm. There were some attempts by the Hezbollah to infiltrate the Israeli borders, yeah. and um, there were rumors that Israel was planning some major mm -hmm. military operations against the Hezbollah. Mm -hmm. But right, right now, well, they're kind of restricted because everybody in the world is watching mm -hmm. Lebanon. And if yes. Israel were to launch any military operation in this area, it would paint mm -hmm. them in a very bad light. Yeah. Uh, so this, you know, uh, very random accident mm -hmm. can completely change the dynamics of mm -hmm. international politics in the region. Yeah, those, this, I guess, this definitely, this blast was, I mean, getting shocked a little bit, shocked the world in terms of its images, uh, widespread images, because, I mean, yeah. it wasn't just only one blast, I guess, two blasts. And uh, like before second blast, people just filming were filming it, uh, and they didn't. I mean, they realized it could be second blast, but they probably. I mean, they still uh, continue continue filming it. Yeah, that's why we have so many images, videos Recordings, right now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. For me, it's it's interesting. I would I would say um, I was really surprised by the way uh, French president reacted to this. You know, he visited Lebanon almost. Not the next day, but like two days after the blast happened, he kind of went to Lebanon, and he promised a lot of like aid, foreign aid, and and a lot of people say it's really imperial because yeah, what exactly. he is doing is just basically you know I mean and Macron and it's interesting because in French politics Macron did not during this uh, Corona crisis he didn't really 
appear in front of like TV screen, you know, he kind of like tried not to be very public because he like he doesn't have like really good position right now. And you know, kind of foreign policy is where he shines usually because he yeah. kind of like tries to sell France as still a great power. I mean, which which France is? I mean, uh, I think it's still a very powerful country. Yeah, the second most important country in the EU. Yeah, something. I mean, I would say it's it's depending. I mean, in security terms, it's probably the first one now. Yeah, especially that they are the only uh, country with nuclear yeah. weapons and, uh, and very developed military. And not not really dependent on the U.S. in terms yes, of. Definitely. We can we can also like yeah. I mean, we would we will discuss also uh, like uh, withdrawal of American troops like also from Germany. That's well, and topic. their increased presence in Poland. Yeah, yeah, and it's also interesting uh, relating to like just uh, EU, not EU, like Europe-Russia relations. Or yeah, definitely. Or NATO-Russia relations. Um, so yeah, and I think it's it was. I mean, I saw like his speech and it's a little bit uh, i mean he gave this like one month period to lebanon uh to have a program like to eliminate corruption so it's it's really imperial the way it's a very sounds, it's an ultimatum to a yeah, like, sovereign nation basically. if you if you want to get uh, funding you should do this this and that because there's no way you can develop without this this and that so <laughs> it's absolutely an imperial policy yeah but at the same time lebanon is uh is famous like not famous i mean in a bad way famous for corruption yeah for the, kind of know, like dissolution of states yeah and i think it's also worth mentioning that uh Christians in Lebanon mm. are basically very pro-French, while the Muslims yeah. are pretty much against. And many people were saying oh. that Macron's policy towards Lebanon can increase those, you know, frictions mm -hmm. in the country, those two religious groups. Yeah, but it also shows the way, you know, when you, I mean, if you if you want to say that some country in the Middle East is democratic, you, you would probably pick Lebanon. Because mm -hmm. the way institutions work, you know, it's a kind of kind of a big compromise between all those ethnic groups. But the thing you see that this democracy doesn't really work in the Middle East because there are too many ethnic groups and you should either have many small states or this big larger state with so many ethnic groups, it doesn't really work because that's why they cannot decide their budget for yeah. ages. They cannot like actually do uh, not, not politics, they do a lot of politics, but they cannot do managing stuff. They cannot really manage people to do something else. And it's interesting because we all discussed, like, people discuss uh, whether, like, the world should be democratic, but sometimes, like, you know, democracy in the Middle East shows that it's probably worse than not democracy. Yeah, but I think this is the, still the fallout of decolonization, mm -hmm. which happens very rapidly, yeah. and... Honestly, uh, I think that the way that decolonization was uh, carried out was outrageous. Yeah. Because basically, uh, the European powers would rule mm -hmm. over the, those lands for centuries. And then at a certain point, they're like, yeah, we're out. You guys manage yourselves. Yeah, the true borders. Uh, the borders that we drew, you know, on the map using a ruler are now yeah. the borders of the countries. And we don't care that there are like 20 ethnic mm -hmm. groups in this country who hate, hate mm -hmm. each other. You just guys and went yourselves. Yeah, and this led to so That's many true. wars in That's Africa true. and the Middle East. It's yeah. all the fallout of the European powers, you know, not managing mm -hmm. the decolonization, the but, decolonization well. But I also think in, for people living there, sometimes it's really hard to say, like, uh, like to say that you belong to some certain of a nation state because we think like you, like as we as Europeans and like, 
I guess as Americans think that we have like this nation state from yeah. to some nation because we are like enlightened and we know how government what, what government is and we know how it works. But people there they kind of don't really understand this. They have their you know kind of this tribal local um, yeah experience of life exactly. yeah because they just like yeah well um, the way I live I just live in my own this a small community. When I go to another community, those people speak different language. I don't know them. I mean, yeah. they have different like. Uh, I mean, everything is And those values. people are your neighbors. Yeah, a different religion. And you're know, like, I don't know those people and I belong to my community. And I guess it's hard to construct a nation state out of state that has no, like, <laughs> no so nation. Many, exactly. or, no, or has so many nations because it's the way you define nation is not so clear. Sometimes so many people speaking different languages, people believing in different things. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's also important to note that you can build a state that's multinational, mm -hmm. but within the state you have to, to have those nations clearly, you know, divided and be represented. Yeah. We have some, you know, examples of multinational states from history which did work, but mm -hmm. all of those nations, they had their own representation, mm -hmm. they had their own, you know, self-government, which we do mm -hmm. not see in the Middle East. Ah, okay. Yes, uh, I mean, and Iraq, for example, is another, I guess, typical question, like, typical example of this uh, kind of democratic state that really, it's like, really, it's really hard for them to manage stuff, yeah. to manage politics, to manage, I mean, just to manage country, because, I mean, it's all, I mean, democratization doesn't really mean good for country, a priori, I mean, it, 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 it's still, it, it's a long process, and we shouldn't really say, well, all, all countries in the Middle East should be democratic. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's probably not possible. Well, I think the goal should be that they are that they are all democratic. But mm -hmm. this is you cannot you know just introduce democracy overnight. Yeah, you it's need hard. to build a society that understands democratic yeah. values that respect you know as every citizen has to respect their neighbor. Without it, it's impossible to build a democracy, yeah. and it'll, it'll always fail. So, you know, just mm -hmm. sending in American troops and saying, hey, you just host elections from now yeah. on, it will not work. It's a way, mm -hmm. way more complex process. But it's also very different from country to country. Even in Europe, we see, like, democracy works different, like, very different. I mean, you can, you can take France and Germany and you see, like, two types of democracies, basically. Yeah. They're very different in terms of in terms of way operate and then you say okay great britain it's also another type of democracy which is like definitely democracy but and it's, it's even another monarchy so yeah and with a different voting system and different like people have different rights and they have no constitution and it's like totally mm. different and then the us with their electoral college yeah so like to like to what extent uh, we define like democracy is really important because i mean i definitely understand uh, democratic values but you know term democracy is umbrella term and it's uh, it doesn't really mean anything and that's why you know when american politicians use this term it's like to make country more democratic what they like what they mean they mean nothing <laughs> for me yeah it's a very broad term there are many different versions of democracy many yeah, types exactly. just you know just like like it is with capitalism there are very different yeah. types of capitalism and, uh, and socialism and everything it's a very broad term it's important to define to it define is. it yeah, yeah what you mean yeah yeah so it's, it was nice I guess conversation about about democratic values and Middle East yeah security maybe let's yeah let's just I mean, we already touched this question about uh, the withdrawal of troops from like, American troops from Germany yeah One they, they're also withdrawn from Norway Norway okay. yes 
Um, so from active region, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's. I mean, for me, it was expected. I don't. I'm not really surprised. They kind of announced it way like way before, but they contemplated about this decision and probably some administrational stuff was going on. I don't know what is going to happen because I mean Biden can also can obviously win, for example. Yeah, right now he has high high chances of winning. But I mean, um, like living in Germany, thinking about Germany a lot, I would say sooner or later that will happen. Yeah, I think especially with the tensions between China and was obvious yeah. that. Well, we discussed it a million of times already mm-hmm. that the U.S. overextended and they need to focus somewhere. And right yeah. now they're focusing on China, mm-hmm. which means they will have to reduce their presence in Europe. So they're yeah. withdrawing from uh, from Germany. Mm-hmm. They are withdrawing from Norway. And Russia is very, very enthusiastic about this withdrawal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but what I find interesting is that they're... they're I mean, on the one hand, they are enthusiastic about withdrawal, but they're not enthusiastic of uh, increasing their... Uh, increasing troops in other regions of Europe. Yes, absolutely. It means uh, different strategic balancing against uh, Europe. And this is interesting because while the US is withdrawing from everywhere in Europe, they are increasing their presence in Poland. And yeah. when you hear this news, you're like, why the hell would the US mm-hmm. withdraw from everywhere else but stay in Poland mm-hmm. and increase the presence in Poland? And um, you actually need to look at the politics of the Polish government, which is pretty hypocritical, I would say, mm-hmm. um, because, well, the entire narrative of the Polish government is, you know, sovereign, sovereignty mm-hmm. and the EU should not be dictating us how we should rule mm-hmm. ourselves. But um, Poland is still very afraid of Russia and they mm-hmm. need some reassurance, you know, security, and they look mm-hmm. to the US for this. And recently they signed an agreement on, you know, mutual defense, which basically says that the US will increase their presence in Poland. Mm-hmm. but all of the U.S. military bases in Poland mm-hmm. will be extraterritorial. So Polish law will mm-hmm. apply inside those U.S. military bases. Yeah. Uh, next, Polish, uh, I'm sorry, American soldiers will not be subject to Polish law mm-hmm. within Poland. So let's say a, an American soldier uh, drives a drunk mm-hmm. and kills somebody, he will not be trialed okay. before a Polish court, but an American one. Mm-hmm. And next thing, the Polish government will be the one to pay for mm-hmm. its American basis. Mm. So, so yeah, this is a very, like, you know, a servant approach towards the US. Poland uh, is currently very isolated in terms mm-hmm. of allies within the mm-hmm. EU, and the US is their only, you know, guarantee of, let's say, security. Yeah. So they're willing to pay a lot, even give up parts of their sovereignty to mm-hmm. have their security ensured. Yeah, but it's also interesting in terms of, like, Russia reacts... Uh, I would say nervously to this because uh, it's kind of like they think it violates this uh, like um, Russia NATO Act mm-hmm. of 196, I guess, uh, which basically says that they will not. I mean, NATO will not increase their presence in those neighboring new like new like neighboring Member NATO states, countries. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I guess the thing that what they do, they make those forces rotational. So they, they kind of circumvent those, uh, I mean, circumvent, but Russia is still not okay with this. I mean, I, 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 I think Russia won't be okay with like anything. Uh, it's just like a rhetorical policy also. It's important to have it, its own, like right for Russia to have its own voice. Yeah, every issue. Yeah, but um, like for me, it kind of makes sense because you look at the map and you say, well, what way the conflict can happen, it can happen around Kaliningrad and 
when you have Kaliningrad, you have like those uh, approximation of forces in this uh, geographical territory, and of course, uh, from a perspective of NATO, you want to increase presence exactly there and not in Germany because Germany is still far away. Although Germany is a very important like infrastructural transport hub, let's say, yeah. like because not only for Russia but also for Middle East and for a lot of things. But I mean, for Germany, yeah, I mean, I understand this decision crystal clear. Um, I mean, Germany can obviously pay for its own defense, all right, and I mean, and France is al is also can pay for its own defense, and I mean, Europe in general can, I guess, uh, can increase its own defense spending if mm -hmm. they really want, and I, I will say that, like, the smaller presence of European, like, of American forces will lead to some conversations with Russian officials, and yeah. then can, can lead to some let's say, agreement between those two entities, like, let's say, EU and Russia, because they just understand each other way better, because they just work without each other in a close approximation. It's mm -hmm. also like, I mean, they have better ties. Yeah, and Europe will be executing their own policy instead of, you know, acting mm -hmm. on the wall of Washington. Yeah. And sooner or later, well, we have not Donald Trump, probably if we have, like, Biden, we'll have some more... Uh, have like maybe increased uh, increased uh, presence of American troops in Europe, mm -hmm. but anyway, after Biden, there can be some other crazy guy. Or, exactly. Oh, I mean, the US can collapse also, um, and whatever can happen, and they cannot rely on US because uh, US cannot be you know a policeman of the world for centuries. Forever, yeah. yeah. And what you said that the US can collapse, um, I just. Many people uh, who would hear the, you know, somebody say, yeah, the U.S. can collapse. They yeah. say, no, you're just, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's impossible. You're joking. It's impossible. Um, I remember just, you know, it's a very, like, small anecdote. Uh, my dad would say that when he lived during the times of communism, Poland, that he never believed that mm -hmm. the Soviet Union could fall. It was just, you know, yeah. out of the question. It was just impossible for the Soviet Union to fall. Oh, so yeah. just you know the same thing. Keep in mind this. To keep this in mind when you think about the possible collapse of the United States. Yeah, of course, and it's definitely overextended uh, entity because U.S. is 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 everywhere in the world, but it now it engages definitely in this uh, very um, like provocative uh, fight against China. Mm. Fight, but I mean, I mean theoretical, like, not theoretical, but. Yeah, I mean, definitely some conflict with China. Banning TikTok. Yeah, and oh, banning TikTok is another <laughs> topic. Another topic, totally different yeah. topic. Yeah, but they definitely can over overextend because, and that's what we already see, like just the slogan, like to make America like great again, which is basically like the slogan of like just like blatant nationalism, like come back to your own nation and yeah, not to overextend. Isolationist policy again. Yeah, because you should, because you cannot. Like, it's really hard to invest so much money into so many regions in the world when you can just spend those money on your own people, on education, on so many things. And, of course, America is, uh, like, infringed with its own problems. It's not like it's a perfect state. Yeah, and not. Yeah, and also what we see, you know, with human rights and all these rights in America, it's, it's, it's a big issue. Uh, it's, it's basically happening something like, what America envisioned in Russia basically happens in America, which is like <laughs> ironic. <laughs> ironic uh, you know, all this rise that well, I guess they dreamed about this, like oh, this definitely happened in Russia against Putin, but not against like Donald Trump in America. 
because I saw democratic. Yeah, and you never know what's gonna happen in the future because because you cannot predict stuff and world is chaotic, you know, human relations are chaotic and everything is chaotic, so everything can happen. And I guess it's hard for Europe to think about its own security policy in these terms because Europe has good track of achieving something uh, in common terms. Yeah, true. And it should, I guess, invest a little bit in, in security. It's not too much, honestly, when you take the common budget. It's not too much to have, let's say, three, I don't know, 300 billion budget for security, common security budget, if you want to have a good, you know, like a new NATO, but in European terms. Yeah, it's not a big expansion, yeah, you know. You can, they can do this. The thing is, they just really want... They, they should be a clear statement and a clear like dedication to this but it's easy to work with Russia without America because just when you bring America to Russia and yeah like, those relations have become belligerent immediately yeah and it's it's you know, it's misunderstanding and it's just and because I mean and you clearly see when you look at the map you know America just doesn't really think European because it's not it's not in Europe <laughs> yeah. so it's it's, it's it cannot think European, Americans cannot think European, people in Washington cannot think European. But the people, same as people in Europe cannot think American. Yeah, it's, it's, it's totally true. And geography, I guess, in this sense matters a lot because when you live in Europe and you think about European security, you think about something like where you live, where you belong to. And of course, Russia, like, definitely, like, they think they, they belong to Europe and they belong to European security space yeah yeah and they think in the common terms in the common they have common agenda yeah so and this is what they want to prevent any sort of sort of like uncertainties in the future and conflicts yeah so i guess uh, do we want to discuss tiktok or it's like too well i guess uh, it's somewhat related to security so i guess we can just you know touch on the topic a little bit so, um, for those of you who don't know, Trump has undertaken um, actions mm -hmm. to ban the very famous app called TikTok. Yeah. Uh, I'm not too familiar with the app as I do not use it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, me neither, but uh, I just think people go crazy with this. <laughs> yeah, basically it's very popular among yeah. you know, young people. And yeah. uh, recently, it's, I think it's important to note mm -hmm. that it's not a thing discovered by the U.S. government, by, but by some mm -hmm. independent IT specialists. They yeah. basically ran an analysis on the code of the app, mm -hmm. and they discovered that it does really violate privacy of the people mm -hmm. who use it, that it sends a lot of you know, information of the user to the servers of the uh, app, yeah. uh, uh, you know, app owners. And it's important to note that TikTok is a Chinese app. Mm -hmm. yeah. And many people fear that those data, this data might mm -hmm. be sent to Beijing and used against, you know, uh, US citizens. Yeah. And this is why Donald Trump decided to ban mm -hmm. the, the application in the yeah. US. And it's, um, many people say, oh, you know, it's a mm, mm -hmm. step against the freedom of speech and mm -hmm. it's infringement of the rights. But, you know, I think it's, um, our, you know, rep sorry, it's yeah. a, basically a response against uh, Chinese actions. Google mm -hmm. is banned in China, YouTube is banned in China, Facebook is banned in China. So if China bans all of the American companies, why shouldn't we ban Chinese companies? Yeah, I mean, you know, just repercussions. That's, yeah, that's on the one hand, I guess it's true. And data, I mean, China has different, def definitely different approach to data. They don't care about your data. I mean, they're just going to use it in the way they want to use it. 
I mean, um, to a certain degree, Americans also use some data with this uh, ANC, how's it called, yeah? uh, like the Snowden revealed. It's also not really, you know, crystal clear how they yeah, use uh, data and how they, I mean, uh, they definitely infringe on some rights, and but they, they, but they, I mean, yeah, but they still have laws and they still have, you can sue American government and you, you have some rights when you, you know, use American app. And, and China is absolutely a totalitarian state. Yeah, so. and they definitely understand data is something that belongs to, I mean, to Chinese government. They don't really protect your data. And of course, I understand in this context that you want to you want to ban TikTok. On the other hand, what I think it's not really possible because how you think you want to, if you want to ban something, you should have a big infrastructure similar to at least. Chinese infrastructure, because as, as you know, history showed with Telegram in Russia, it's not really possible to ban something it, um, until you, you have big you can sensor infrastructure that definitely just dedicated to this sole purpose of banning stuff, which is like definitely authoritarian in its core, because when you have infrastructure to ban something, you just like have so many ideas, let's not ban not only TikTok, but also, I don't know, Instagram and let's just try to ban a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah, and they cannot cannot ban and I mean even even with this uh, Chinese firewall system you can still with good VPN I guess you can still access uh, any any other app that you want. Yeah, absolutely. So it kind of like creates this idea of uh, silly government which kind of ban stuff but it cannot really ban this so like just idea of banning stuff for the sake of banning but not really banning it yeah you, you need to enforce yeah, it's it just like well. you cannot enforce it right why are you ban it when you have no infrastructure uh, I don't know this for me it sounds a little bit it's not like authoritarian I don't I don't say I don't say it's authoritarian because they, they probably cannot ban it for real but I think it's like a little bit silly and a little bit naive like just to, to, yeah, to pursue I, this I agree with you but it, I think it's still a big step and uh, well changing the policy mm -hmm. towards China because you know uh, many US presidents thought that uh, we should allow China to grow yeah. and you know, develop and they'll turn democratic eventually and this is a turn away from this policy because you know for yeah, years um, Chinese companies were investing in the mm -hmm. US and many different countries while let's say American companies could not invest in China mm -hmm. because their economy yeah. is strictly regulated, and I think this is you know just a response towards those Chinese actions. Yeah, I definitely think that um, relationships with China are not reciprocal, and it's really hard. I mean, relationship with China are very hard because you definitely don't know a lot about Chinese intentions because they are not crystal clear. They're not, yeah. they're not tra transparent. And basically, when you engage with Chinese authorities, like uh, Chinese uh, bureaucrats, you just basically engage with people with very shady, shaky, you know, like intentions. You don't know a lot of stuff about China. Yeah. Um, because it's not democratic, they don't have uh, public hearings, they don't have uh, parliament, and they don't have clear intentions coming from people. And that's why I understand uh, why you want to protect your data from, of course, like Chinese authorities. Um, but at the same time, you know, the conversations about data, they go beyond this. And of course, they also include how Americans use, uh, I mean, the American government use your data because 
They still, I guess, they still use it in a certain way. Yeah, it's kind of shady. Yeah, it's not so... I mean, um, last time I read something about, uh, like, uh, what Ed Edward Snowden revealed. Uh, some people sued the American government, of course, but there was not such a big development because it all connects to this uh, uh, terrorism, uh, what's it called, the Patriot Act, and yeah. basically, you know... It's a terrorism thing, so they have this uh, right to to infringe your to to just check your phone because you know Civil liberties. probably you are terrorist, something like that. Yeah, and this is yeah. I mean, questions about data they will also determine our future, and it's something that we should think like collectively think about. And uh, and also in Europe, but in Europe, of course, now I guess in Germany they, they have very good laws protecting data. Yeah, in the EU as well. It's yeah, it's like GDPR, European, yeah. yeah, European laws that protect your data, and they they're good in terms of um, they're applicable uh, to every kind of data you collect, not only data that you get from applications, but all data when you get like I don't know when you sign up for some newsletter, you also yeah. kind of like. They should protect your data. It's their obligation, basically. Yeah. I so think we covered pretty much everything. Yeah, I think so. So subscribe to our channels. Uh, you know, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, yeah. SoundCloud, whatever oh, you, you prefer. Listen. Yeah, exactly. And see you next time. See ya.